Sam. Yeah, Don. What's the word? Suggestions. Give me an example. The 12 steps are suggestions, as is pulling the ripcord on a parachute when jumping out of a plane. Where'd you hear that? I, I heard, heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome, it's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don, it's a busy time of year, and it feels like I've got family expectations, work expectations. There's more work because of the holidays coming up. There's social expectations. What am I going to do with all these expectations, Don? An expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. That sounds like it might have come from Krusty the Old Timer. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it kind of is. But, you know, I didn't realize that before I got sober. I didn't realize that I was building up a picture of the future of what's going to happen. And then filled with anger, resentment and disappointment when it didn't play out the way that I had envisioned it. <laughs> it's like you knew how everything was supposed to happen. I know how it's supposed to be. And, and it doesn't play out that way. And it leads to frustration. And I used to drink at that. I don't want to live that way. Well, I mean, throw on top of that. So not only are we dealing with my expectations of what's going on right now, but what about other people's expectations? Yes. And so often, particularly at the time of the holidays, there can be social obligations, they call it. Mm. Sometimes I don't have to participate in Ooh. social obligations. And, you know, there may be a party or something and I'm feeling squirrely. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go. And I may not even be missed. <laughs> <laughs> People will be okay with it if I say, you know, I can't come. Yeah. I mean, that's a key thing for me is that uh, I got to check in with myself because if what I'm taking to the party is going to bring the party down. Or if you get drunk and that will oh, bring God. the party down. But I also got to watch out for the isolation side of things because it's so easy to do that. So just because I don't want to do something is not necessarily the reason not to do it. You know, I, I need to check in and maybe check in with a sponsor or a trusted friend about why I'm going to this thing, why I don't want to go. Maybe Completely. something that I could do, maybe bookending things with meetings or phone calls, stuff like that. I actually went to a holiday party. I was feeling like I couldn't do it. I was talking to a sponsor and he said, I think you can do it. I, I want you to go. I want you to call me beforehand, go to the party. And then after the party, call me. And also remember that at any point you can leave, whether it's mm -hmm. five minutes or two hours, whatever, be prepared to leave if you're feeling squirrely. So I went. And the one thing that I found that was really surprising to me was there was a little crew of people who were drinking the way I used to drink. There were about five of them hanging around a keg. <laughs> and amazingly, there were an enormous amount of people who were having one or two drinks. And then there were, there were people who weren't drinking at all. It's nuts, isn't it? You never saw those people when I was drinking. I never saw them. I didn't know they existed. <laughs> <laughs> 
So to go forward with the idea of not having expectations has served me well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Don, what's uh, what's going on with the show today? Today, we're going to have the meeting after the meeting. Join us in the coffee shop where we'll get to know someone in recovery. Today, we're chatting with Corey. Let's go. Corey, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Corey. Corey, when did you get sober? Uh, So September 21st, 2012. So Corey, what is it that led up to that moment where you walked into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and started this journey? Or did it even happen that way? You know, it did, actually. I always joke that the catalyst that got me sober was the television series Breaking Bad. In 2012, that show was airing and it aired on Sundays. And I had a friend who was a former drinking buddy of mine who had gotten sober. He had about nine months at the time. He would come over, despite me not being sober at all, um, to watch Breaking Bad with me. And then at the end, he would invite me to a midnight meeting at a group called Saturday Night Live in San Jose. I eventually went, despite, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And I do want to say, like, I wasn't sober when I showed up to my first meeting um, and I wasn't even sober the first time I or like asked a guy to be my sponsor or the first couple of times I met up with my sponsor. Oh, um, wait, you meant- mean you don't have to be sober to walk into a meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> no, you no. just need a desire to quit drinking. Oh, well, yeah. that's pretty cool. I was very not sober and at that point <laughs> hadn't hadn't been physically sober probably since I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. And how old were you at the time? 24. That's a, that's a while to go without uh, drawing a sober breath, especially at a young age. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember reading that in Bill's story and I was like, yep, that's me. Hardly draw a sober breath. That's me. Hardly draw a sober breath, but you're only 24 years old. Did you feel like you're too young to go to AA? Well, fortunately, uh, the people that attend the midnight meeting, there's a lot of variance in age. Yeah. Um, and so I was actually probably within the median age range for midnight meetings. And there was one old timer and we called him Philly John. And he was a train conductor that worked swing shifts and he, he had gotten sober young. And I think he had like 20 plus years at the time. Um, And so he would be like the resident old timer that like knew the literature really well. And like, he would just kind of like unofficially sponsor a lot of the people and talk to the newcomers after the meeting. He was awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you have an Mm -hmm. old timer expression of his that always stayed with you? I can't remember his because he he was very good at like seamlessly quoting the book and not making it seem like awkward. That didn't make me feel stupid for like not knowing it at the time. (laughs) Um, Because sometimes it can come off as a little condescending, but he was very graceful about it. But I do remember some of the old timers. I think my favorite thing that really appealed to my ego when I got to AA was when people said, you can't be too dumb to get this program, but you can be too smart to get it. And I was like, <laughs> you think I'm smart? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, I heard the similar and oh my God. Yeah. That totally struck the precocious bit in me. Yeah. The intellectual pride balloon or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you were coming to AA, you had friends in AA and you started going mm-hmm. to meet. You're still drinking, even when you got a, a sponsor the first time. What yeah. happened inside of you the last time that you drank 
that made you decide this is it. I have had it. I have to get sober somebody else's way. So that's a, that's a really good question. Cause like, I remember thinking, cause I, I drank and then I did a lot of other things too, which kind of accelerated the necessity for sobriety at 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking when I was about 22, thinking like, if I don't get sober by the time I'm 25, I'm just going to end it. There's no, like, there's no chance that it's going to get better. Right. And so at that point of being 24 and I was just like, there's nothing that I can do that will improve my station in life. Like there's nothing going on in my head that will make the situation better. And there's no scenario or potential outcome where I'm going to be able to drink the way that I want to and have any shot at a semblance of a normal life. Once you have that realization, you just kind of bounce around your miserable, like little bottom until you're just like, all right, fine. Okay. Whatever. So it's almost like you, you kind of got over yourself a little bit. It's like, I just can't even stand me right now. Absolutely. (laughs) Were you certain that you could not drink again? It was interesting because like, I was certain that like, I couldn't do other things. My fear was stopping drinking, right? Like I wasn't afraid of stopping the other things because I was like, look, there's no way that that's going to be good for my life. And then I was like, but if you take away my drinking, then I have to be actually sober. That's my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I quit everything else trying Mm -hmm. to have a family and live a decent life. I could not quit drinking. Mm -hmm. That was me too. And it was the the subtle dastardliness of it that it's that socially acceptable thing. You know, alcohol is the drug that it's okay to consume around people. (laughs) Yeah. It's like never socially acceptable to do heroin. Right. But like alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, fortunately I was exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous. I think I'm, I'm really fortunate because, you know, at the midnight meetings, Like it was a lot of people that are definitely like in the same shipwreck, right? Because it takes a very special kind of person to think I should go to midnight meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, (laughs) right? It's a very very specific archetype of human. And so, because I I would go to some meetings with old timers, like that had a lot of sobriety and I just, I I felt like they didn't get me. And I felt like the midnight meeting people absolutely got me. so. And, and that's an incredible, important yeah. point to make about trying out different meetings, because there are different feelings, different vibes to the, the various meetings. You know, a 7 a.m. meeting is probably going to be a whole lot different than an 8 p.m. meeting versus a midnight meeting. Lunch yeah. meetings have a different feel. Clubhouse meetings versus those that are in a church basement versus those that are in a community center, you know, things like They're that. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, so you decide to get sober. What is something that the program asked you to do that you didn't want to do? And having done it, maybe one of the steps or something, it's like, oh, this actually works. Yeah. My initial fear of step three was that I would lose my identity and like the essence that makes me me if I had to turn over my stuff to my higher power. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step three. Yeah. And that was my, my big fear. I was like, will I lose my autonomy as a human being? Will I lose the, you know, my personality? Will I have to become a born again Christian, which I didn't become a born again Christian. You know, it was interesting for me because 
that seemed really, really intimidating. And then I did it and I was like, well, this just means that I'm going to continue doing this process. <laughs> I love you sharing about that. But I'm curious, what is your interpretation of step three? How, how does that apply in your life? What does it mean? So, and this is for me, because I come from like the tech world. So I look at the step in a way where like, when you write code to like code uh, an application or in our case, a program, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have conditional logic as the foundation, right? Like if then statements. And I kind of look at the first nine steps as the like conditional statements and the foundation to execute the program of 10, 11, and 12. Like that's how I look at things now, right? Um, right. But like the way that I look at step three is just like, I need more help than just like, my terrestrial human experience and to tap into like whatever is greater than me to make the best decisions possible for the people in my life and myself. I like that. Thank you very much. And I love that mm -hmm. you're, you're talking code because that like totally tweaks the nerd in me. I'm, I'm digging that. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Sam, the, the, what's our code? <laughs> <laughs> HTML5. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> love and tolerance is our code. Oh, <laughs> see how I snuck the big book in there? <laughs> you declare your variables. The variables are love and tolerance. And then <laughs> if love, then tolerance. Ah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. You can totally cut out what I said, Don. Okay. <laughs> I got you, dude. <laughs> there are no bugs in this. <laughs> the thing that I heard that made it work for me on step three was my will in my life. Instead, it was my thinking and my actions. I love it. Uh, and that mm -hmm. just little slight turn on those words just really made it much more palatable for me because to turn over my will in my life, are you kidding? So my will mm -hmm. is my thinking. Yeah. And my life is my actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is great. That's what actually happens. One of the feelings that I had was if I turn my will and my life over to the care of God, well, who am I going to be mm -hmm. when that's done? The hole in the donut. The hole in the donut. Yeah, nothing. I was, I was really afraid of being nothing. And I was afraid of losing my edge. I was afraid of losing my sense of humor. I was afraid of losing my creativity if I quit mm -hmm. drinking. And somebody said, well, that's because you gave all that to alcohol and alcohol is your higher power. And I oh. need to have a different higher power. <laughs> and yeah, I did, I, like I did, I, I couldn't, yeah. I felt like my creativity was going to be gone because I couldn't drink. Well, that's making alcohol my higher power. It, it totally mm -hmm. is. You know, I saw a meme on one of the, uh, the private Facebook groups. My alcoholism was giving up everything for one thing. And my recovery is giving up one thing for everything. That's great. So one yeah. for all and all for one type of thing. <laughs> Hashtag heard in a meeting. Yeah, I love that. That's great. <laughs> no, Don, that's pound sign heard in a meeting. <laughs> that's right. No. So, so Corey, how do you use AA on a daily basis today? Yeah. So I, I kind of joked that like, I'm a militant agnostic, right? I don't know if, if there's a capital G God and I don't care. And that's just kind of the joke that I say about it. But really like what the AA program looks like 
you know, executing the program. It's trying to see like how my actions can be the benefit to the most amount of people, but still staying like sane, right? Um, like I kind of look at it as a modified version of utilitarianism. So like the action that has the greatest amount of good for the largest amount of people. Um, and that's kind of like what got me into the like general service. I was like, oh, the actions that we take can affect alcoholics that, are, you know, aren't sober yet. And I, I always really liked that idea. So service has always been a big part of my recovery. But as far as using the program itself as like tools or as a foundation, right, like I am married to another human. So like I have to have step 10 or I will probably no longer be married to another human. <laughs> Continue <laughs> to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> That because that helps me with my relationship with others, right? Like yeah. step 11 helps me with my relationship with myself. And like step 12 kind of shows me how I can be effective with other people. Like I sponsor people in AA. I live a life that is wildly different than when I came in. Like it's very benign compared to what it was like. And I'm okay with my benign life. Sounds like a, a bit of serenity, satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. I like calling it benign, but that's literally, <laughs> your description's better. Well, I mean, I, I, but I had a sponsor that made this analogy. When I came in here, my life was kind of like a spaghetti noodle that it was just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And now it's more like the edge of a lasagna noodle. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> With the ups and downs. Yeah. Ooh, well, I what like do you think lot. about losing your edge? Yeah, so, uh, you know, for me... Um, like when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a, you know, punk rock musician, like punk rock anarchist skateboarder kid. Like I had played in different punk rock bands and that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh no, am I going to have to do worship music? Like that was, yeah, right. that was my, my big fear. Yeah. Um, okay. So no, I didn't have to, but really what it was, it allowed me to be creative. Um, once a little bit of time had passed, right. Mm -hmm. Because just learning how to interface with my thoughts and my own creativity. Yeah. Like it didn't happen on day one or 1 1.5 of my sobriety, but it had happened by maybe the first three months of my sobriety. And then it was really nice because every time I had been in bands before I was in recovery, um, we were always very hit and miss. And by we, I mean me, but you know, like you're, <laughs> <laughs> well, I played in bands and it's amazing how much better your performance is when you can uh, remember what you're doing. Yeah, it's great. Cause then it's not all just muscle memory. It's like actually being present in the moment and being able to like, I don't know. It's like, I, I like being aware that I exist most of the time. And before I got to AA, I did not like being aware that I existed. Well, yeah. Before I came to AA, I was self-destructive. I was looking for the temporary oblivion. Yes. Mm -hmm. In fact, my edge was, I think, self-destruction. Mm -hmm. It was playing with that. It turned out my personality continued to exist, including crazy enthusiasm and spontaneous behavior and whatever, but just not self-destructive. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. Well, and I like that you shared that 
there's a, a learning period, if you will. There's this period where I've just kind of got to get my feet under me of this mm-hmm. not drinking thing and living life differently. And things are going to be a little weird for a while. And I'm not going to fit in my body, so to speak, the way that I want it to. But then what do you know? I showed up. Mm-hmm. When I was just getting sober, I had a part-time gig as an after-school band teacher. So, you know, teaching like elementary school kids and conducting the band and that kind of stuff. I remember coming into the office and they asked me like, hey, what are you doing in May? And my instinct was, would be like, I don't know, I might be dead. Um, I didn't say that. <laughs> and they were just saying, that's when our spring concert is. And I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. Glad I didn't say what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, Lord. Corey, we want to give you the last word here. What would you tell a new person coming into AA and listening to this? How in the world am I going to manage this getting sober thing? Yeah. So I was always under the delusion that like getting sober would make my life absolutely perfect. Um, And that's not true. But what it did allow me to do was deal with the bad parts of life in a lot better of a way. And I think that's really important to know. Sobriety didn't make me a superhuman, but it gave me the ability to be a regular human. And regular humans experience the entire gamut of human emotions and life experience, whether they're amazing or horrible. But like recovery gives me the tools to deal with the horrible parts. And that's the thing that I think is the most beneficial for me. That's beautiful. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Corey. Thanks. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And now, an archival recording with Bill Wilson from the 1960 International Convention. Last from the past. I remember one time when I still thought that drinking was, uh, uh, you know, the fault of a good man. and we had made uh, some dough in the Wall Street boom, and I bought a Packard uh, that lo- about as long as from here out that third foot line. It um, was up in a town near my brother-in-law's place. I was supposed to show up for supper. I got talking with the man at the garage. I forgot about supper. I forgot about Lois. It was kind of a bitter night. We needed more grog to get warm. And we kept warming ourselves. And finally, I I realized that I had to start for my brother-in-law's for supper several hours later. I started up the street. And suddenly, I realized that it was time to go to bed. And... uh, there was a field in the side hill par- paralleling the street. I wandered over in it, and I laid down, and it was a wintry night, and I woke up. Gracious, I was frozen. I got off it, up the hill to the main street, started down the main street, looked down, and my God, I had on my coat and vest and my, but no pants, right down the main street of Yonkers, New York. (laughs) 
My brother-in-law and Lois met me at the door. They were saddened. And since I was minus my pants, the unspoken question was, where have you been? Do you know, the very next morning, we found that field, and I was absolved, at least, from one sin, when my shoes and my pants, shoes side by side, and pants carefully folded there in the grass, where I was on bed. <laughs> Even then, without knowing it, I was condemned to obsession, to lunacy, and to death without knowing it. And praise God on the increasing communication of our society that potentials like me are now coming to a younger folks just getting nipped. Where it begins to hurt, but already faintly, unless they take it. An old-timer with 40 years of sobriety had a dream. In it, his first sponsor, who passed years before, appeared. The old-timer, seizing the opportunity, asked him one question. Is there AA in heaven? Well, Jim, his first sponsor replied, there's good news and bad news. The good news is, yes, AA meetings are held in heaven. The bad news is, you're chairing this Saturday. <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Hey folks, just a reminder that we'd love for you to call in with your Ask the Old Timer questions and recovery-related jokes. That number is 212-870-3418. That's 212-870-3418. Also, if you use hashtag heard in a meeting on social media, we may wind up reading your post on the show anonymously, of course. You can always write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org with comments, suggestions, and such. All this and more is also available at 
aagrapevine.org slash podcast. that like the big book that you've been using for the longest have you ever noticed that if you look at the spine the earlier pages are darker on the spine because your finger grease gets on them because that's the part that you read with newcomers so much yeah that's a cool observation yeah no i haven't and, noticed that at all yeah <laughs> uh-huh. apparently i'm not working with enough newcomers <laughs>